The value that we have is in our brands, the value that we have is in, in our people, the value that we have in terms of how, how do we execute our brands and our route to market more efficiently. Welcome to the Cloud ERP Playbook. In this show, we're going to speak with business leaders about their journeys to Cloud ERP. Cloud ERP is a key enabler for business innovation. It helps companies develop new business models to avoid being disrupted, gain efficiencies to reinvest into growth, and transform mission-critical systems without risk. I'm Bob Parker, Senior Vice President, Enterprise Applications, Data Intelligence, Services, and Industry Research at IDC. And I'm Mickey Northrizza, Group Vice President for Enterprise Software at IDC. We've divided the season into three acts. In episode one, entitled Transform Business Processes with Continuous Insights, we'll speak with Sandeep Sarapat, Global Business Transformation and Technology Officer, Twinings Ovaltine, about his 300-year-old CPG brand's journey to cloud ERP. For episode two, Move to Cloud ERP with Confidence, we'll chat with Giannis Levantis, Group CIO for Unipart Group, about how Rise with SAP won out over the competition and how Unipart's customer experience has benefited from the switch. And for our third and final episode, Succeed in a Changing Environment with Continuous Innovation, we'll speak with Freddie Karsmakers, Global IT Business Partner for DSM Finance and Procurement, about where he and DSM are in their journey before settling into some seasoned takeaways. Okay, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Mickey, let me ask you a question. What happened in the last 300 years? Let's see. Uh, the foundings of the U.S. and Canada, uh, the Industrial Revolution, a couple of world wars, the internal combustion engine, flight, the space race, the list goes on and on and on. So, quite a lot. I ask because some of the tech we're dealing with, 18 months seems like a long time. Between Moore's Law, AI and machine learning, tech booms and busts, things can move pretty quickly. Companies and even entire categories rise and fall within a few years. And that is what makes this next story so compelling. Twining's Ovaltine is a legacy CPG brand that was founded in the early 1700s. That's a lot of fiscal quarters. We're about to speak with Sandeep Sarapat, Global Business Transformation and Technology Officer, Twining's Ovaltine, about how a tea company older than the United States leveraged SAP technologies to turn the corner on some very key and critical problems. What do you think, Bob? Do you think that's uh, something that they can do even though they started in the 1700s? Yeah, it's a really great story. I'm really anxious to get into it. This notion of generating insights through data, it's more and more embedded in the enterprise applications companies run. And increasingly, the competitive advantage is defined by how well you use your company's data. So you have to get that right. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, if they've had data all the way back from the 1700s and it's changed so much through the years and now we're in this digital world, it's really going to reshape perhaps the way they do business for the next, what, 300, 400 years if they keep going the way they are. Well, let's find out. Let's jump into the conversation. And welcome, Sandeep, to the podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Bob, thanks for having me on, on the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Sandeep. It's Mickey. It's great to see you again. Thanks, Mickey. You know, I'm fascinated by your title. Um, it's not particularly common to see a technology lead reporting directly to the CEO. So I was wondering, could you tell us how long have you been in this role and what was sort of the impetus for it? Sure. So 
Bob, I mean, this role is a relatively new role in the organization. So uh, we created the role in July this year. Um, my role prior to this was CIO. And the access I had to to my business has been fantastic from day one. So I never had an issue around reporting into the CEO. What this did was it changed the presentation of the role, firstly. Uh, now reporting CEO gives technology a different perspective. But the more important thing is that this is a transformation program and business transformation. And we said, because it's a business transformation program, as we would do with any large business initiative, well, it made sense for this role to report into, into the CEO. So that's what started off, it being positioned as a business transformation. Excellent. Sandeep, one of the things that we're seeing, and, and I think Bob knows this as well, is that over 95% of the CEOs are really moving to this digital-first strategy to compete in the digital world. And to do that, they actually have to transform the business, right? So you're sitting like right in the sweet spot to help your company get to that next level. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. I mean, again, we're not a technology company, but our consumers are very technology savvy. So therefore, you know, if our principle is, and we're trying to drive this principle very, very strongly, which is we are where the consumers need us to be, then they are in the digital space and therefore that's where we need to be as well. When did Twining's Ovaltine start the transformation? What, where, where, did it, where did it begin? So it started off in 2020 when I presented a technology strategy to our board, which presented a view around, well, if we want to compete in a, in a world where the consumers are changing and in a world where we want to be able to react to the changing markets for us to be able to understand how the business is changing on a day-to-day basis, what's the underlying ways of working as a business that we need to put in place? And then we thought, well, for that to happen, we've got to have a, have a strategy. And the strategy we put together defined around, this is what the transformation journey looked like. Excellent. Does that include sort of um, uh, direct-to-consumer efforts? So our going in position was, I currently have 10 ERPs across the globe. And as a result of that, one of our strengths as an organization has always been local knows best. And I think that is our magic source as a company. The question we asked ourselves, well, if local knows best, where is that truly necessary? And where is it not a competitive advantage? And we went through a logical thought process to say, well, in areas where it is not my competitive advantage, how could I do that differently? So we then focused on understanding, is route to market a competitive advantage? In some areas, it is. Is our marketing competitive advantage? Yes, it is. But is our procurement process, is our manufacturing process, is the things that we would typically see back office, you know, finance processes, is that competitive? The answer was no. So then we thought, well, what this does is it opens up opportunities to do business differently and direct consumer being one of them. But it's also, you know, we're a big B2B business. But when you've got 10 different ERPs and you might have common customers across the globe, integrating into them becomes quite difficult. So we thought, well, again, you know, how do you simplify doing business with with Twining's Ovaltine as a way of working going forward? Sandeep, just just a question from my end. If you, when you step back and you look at what you've done going into the customer side, it sounds like those KPIs are going from um, basically to the front end of the office. As you've gone through this, you've obviously had to change those KPIs up on the back end as well, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. So uh, something as simple as things like forecast accuracy, because I've got ten different business units doing things differently. Well, if you ask somebody, "What's my forecast accuracy?" you'll get 10 different answers. And they all are right in a certain version of it. If you ask people my on-time delivery, again, you know, everybody's going to have a version of it. So by, by creating consistency in terms of definition 
And then the way that you source the data, what that will do, it will allow us to give us a single view of data across the enterprise. Excellent. And do you feel that that, are you benchmarking to see if you're competitive with the peer group? We we have done some benchmarking. Yeah. But the one thing that we realize is that we, we are behind the curve in, in, in some areas. Therefore, benchmarking us just kind of reaffirms that we're behind the curve. What we're more interested in saying, well, again, as an organization, where do we want to be? Right. And I think that's the important conversation that we're having is around, we want to be strong in this area and we don't want to be strong in those areas. So therefore, when a consulting company comes and says, you know, here's the, here's the top 50 KPIs we're seeing in CPGs, uh, not all of them will be relevant in our organization. This is a, another common question. Um, going back to 2020, and if you had a restart, and by the way, kudos, 2020 in the middle of a pandemic launching such a massive uh, program, but um, is there anything you would do differently? The, this comment is not one of um, arrogance, but I, I think not. And and the reason why I say think not is that what what we thought through and how we approached it I think had the right degree of risk and the right degree of, of, of checks and balances thrown into it. So we accelerated our decision making, choosing technology. We accelerated our decision making process to choosing a system integrator. We accelerated our thought process around how do we want to operate as a, as a, as a business. So I think on those dimensions, I think it was done with the right pace. And I think one of the things that, that organizations or at least technology leaders kind of forget is there's a culture in which we work in. Tony's Overteen has a has has a history of over 300 years. So how do you respect that and still drive change mm-hmm. versus coming in with a big hammer and trying to change everything day one? So there is a rhythm, there's a there's an energy that this organization has. Understanding that and then putting the change journey in line with that, I think was quite important. So would I would I change that? No. Would I like to have gone faster? Probably yes. But at the risk of alienating my entire business units. That was a that was a calculated risk in my part around slow to get people on on the journey so that they understand and buy into the journey so that when we accelerate, it's actually an easy conversation to have. Yeah, I I heard acceleration three times in there as you were describing <laughs> the different areas you accelerated on. Could you give us an idea? As, to your point, you said you can't go too fast because you need to pull them along. What's the what was the acceleration like? Was it from you know? six to 12 months to, you know, four months, five months. Give us some ideas of what acceleration means. So we went from zero to having chosen our SI, chosen our ERP and kicking off the project in nine months. And, And the context of that is quite important. In that journey, we managed to get 10 business units that, like I said, were very, very disparate in terms of how they operated to buy into this is how we're going to do things. And if you think most organizations that have that as their starting point, it takes years to get them to believe that this is the new way of working. For us to have done that, and the more important point you mentioned early on, during a pandemic, makes that even more special. So that is why I think, you know, the word accelerated I use quite consciously is because in a pandemic, given, given our history and given where we wanted to go, that it was such a massive transformation. We think it was it was right quite fast. Yeah. 
That that is that is quite fast. And someone much smarter than me once told me that change management is three campaigns: a political campaign, a marketing campaign, and a military campaign. And the the uh, political campaign is around the executive support, which sounds like you had uh, wonderful support. Uh, the marketing campaign is selling your peers, and you've got 10 business units to sign up, so that's great. But the military campaign is sort of establishing that beachhead and executing relentlessly, right? So what's the roadmap going forward? How are you How are you prosecuting that military campaign side of the change management? Sure. So again, I think we, we, we broke up our program into multiple waves. Um, and inside those waves, we've got various countries that are going live. So we're trying to paralyze certain activities. We're also trying to do things slightly different. So we're bringing in um, the agile methodology where it makes sense. So it's more agile in some some areas. It's traditional um, waterfall and others. So what we what we are not doing is being absolutely crystal clear that this is exactly the methodology can be followed throughout the entire journey. We're giving ourselves the opportunity to flex. To say, you know, if we're running behind on development, what do we need to change? Or we found a ways of working. How, how do we re, uh, repeat that in other areas? So we've given, we've given ourselves that, that degrees of freedom to ensure that we can adapt quickly. Cause the last thing we want to do is to kind of create a methodology or uh, follow a methodology that is so concrete that it just leaves no latitude for us to flex. And if we want to truly, truly be, believe that we can accelerate this program, we're saying that we want to do this in a more flexible way. So we we are trying very hard to kind of stick to those principles. The other thing that we're trying to do is, is given that we're trying to change the entire organization from what it is to what it needs to be, as a as a project team, we're also going through change. So we're trying to figure out inside the the external change journey, how do we manage our internal change journey? Because you've got different parties coming together. You've got business units, you've got an SI, you've got my own team coming together. So creating a culture that is representative of this new way of working is hard. So we're trying to fix fix that on both fronts. So we're trying to fix it on the, on the external front and the internal front as well. More from our conversation with Sandeep right after this. Rise with SAP provides your company with a guided journey to cloud ERP so you can develop new business models, drive new efficiencies, and modernize mission-critical systems to help you grow, all while avoiding disruption and interruptions. Become an intelligent, sustainable enterprise in the cloud. Rise with SAP comes with a tailored-to-fit cloud ERP that adapts to your organization's unique transformation requirements, industry next practices, extensibility options, analytics, business process transformation capabilities, and outcome-driven services. To learn more about Rise with SAP and how companies drive business innovation with the solution, contact your SAP partner or visit our website at sap.com forward slash rise. Now back to our conversation. So you talked about having 10 ERP uh, implementations. I'm curious, what, what what's the role of SAP and, and how vested are they in your success in this transformation? So my choice around using SAP was very strategic um, for exactly that reason, is that we want them to help us the acceleration. We were one of the first people that signed up for RISE. And our logic around RISE was not about the technology, 
but how we wanted to operate as a business and what is the right platform that enabled that to happen. And when you went through a bunch of criteria on what did we want, how did we want to operate and where do we want to go, Rice became quite obvious in terms of how we wanted to to move forward. Uh, Mickey, is that consistent with, you know, as you talk generally to people that have been through RISE, is that kind of a very consistent motivation? It is and isn't. I think the other aspect that comes to mind here for many of the companies that we've spoken to is the fact that they've been looking for a pathway to move to the SAP S4 HANA system, uh, as well as some of the other systems and bringing them all together. And this has been an avenue for them to go down. So it is part of the transformation journey, but there's different aspects depending on what the company really needs. And the other thing I think that weighs in here, we haven't said it, would be how old their on-premises systems are and how customized they are, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, how, how, what was your situation there? So it's, it's, it's interesting because I think I'm lucky in the sense that having 10 different ERPs, so I've got everything from Microsoft to QAD to SAP in my landscape, to go to one makes, makes the business case a little more palatable versus if I had an entire landscape on, 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 on ECC, the business case looks a little bit more tenuous. So the fact that I had all these disparate solutions and, and knitting them together as one single unit, I think makes my business case a little bit easier to, to solve. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and as I mentioned before, it wasn't a technology conversation. What we're trying to sell to my business units is saying, how do you want to operate in the future? Do you want to live in a world where if you've got the best direct-to-consumer solution sitting in China, that you want to integrate that into, into a solution? Versus you have to build the integration every single time you want to do something like that. The same happens with my team in, in Thailand. And because we're a small organization, the thought of having to replicate those capabilities in every single country just made no sense at all. The second thing that it did is around coming back to the point around what was our competitive advantage. If we, if we believe that the ERP is our competitive advantage, then we've got this completely wrong. So we said, well, how do I take away the noise? of ERPs and make sure that it's a commodity. The value that we have is in our brands, the value that we have is in, in our people, and the value that we have in terms of how, how do we execute our brands and our route to market more efficiently. And if those things are true, then I really want to make sure that this application, whatever it is that runs my business, should be as painless and as being back offices as possible. Therefore, something like Rise made sense to me because I don't want to manage the the ERP upgrades. I don't want to manage the, the SAP servers. You know, those are just non-competitive advantage to me. So by allowing somebody else who knows that better than I do to do that as a service, you know, it gives me the capacity to focus on the things that are really important. So basically you set the foundation by moving into one direction and then you set your competitive advantage and differentiators outside of it, but wrapped around it to bring the information back and forth the way you need it. Is that fair? Absolutely. Okay. Correct. And Bob, you used the word keep, uh, you know, keeping the core clean or keeping to standard. We've completed our, um, our global template definition and being very proud of the team. We've got four enhancements that a typical, you know, CPG of our size is rare to say the least. So we truly, truly are sticking to the concept of if it's not your competitive advantage, keep it out of the core. Um, and, and so we've also implemented um, BTP to ensure that where we want to play, we keep, keep that outside, which is our competitive advantage, but the core remains as standard as possible. So it sounds like that formed the basis for your selection criteria. Um, and I think you articulated that 
very well, by the way, that the transformation case you made. Um, I hope everybody listens to this podcast because it's what a lot of people struggle with getting that separation right. But anything else about the selection process and how you went about it that um, uh, you'd like to add? Sure. So I think when we we went through, a, a, um, I guess, a, a accelerated thought process around this, but then a very rigorous process around which one to go with. So very quickly, we came to the choice of using Microsoft Dynamics or using SAP. That was our selection went from, from four to two very quickly. And then the choice between Microsoft and, and SAP was, was again, that, that I thought was quite rigorous in ensuring that we understood what we were buying and what we were not buying. Um, and strange enough, one of the decisions that we, we used to select the choice of SAP versus Microsoft was usability and not usability in its pure user sense around the, the UX, but usability in terms of how do you go through the transaction? And, and what we found that the way to get to the transactions on SAP for, for the areas that we were looking for, um, SAP had a, had a better offering. The second thing that what it brought to us, it brought us an ecosystem. So my, my scope of my program is we've been implementing SAP IVP, SAP Ariba, Concur, EWM. We're looking at S4 core SAC. We're implementing BW and a new warehousing management system. And then on top of all of that, implementing BTP. So it's kind of wall-to-wall SAP where it makes sense. And the logic behind that was, again, we don't want to add complexity to those areas that are not our competitive advantage. So we, we tried to keep our principle of saying, guys, what is your competitive advantage? Is, is truly the way you plan your competitive advantage? No, then, you know, IBP is good enough. If you look at procurement, you know, it's good enough. So it's, so the challenge that we create our business and the program, is it good enough to do what we need to do? Because we can always define reasons why, why it could be different, but is it going to help me sell more? Is it going to help me make myself more efficient? And it going to help me, you know, get closer to a consumer. The answer is no, then it's good enough. And are you, are you deployed on a cloud, Azure or? Uh, yes, we are on, okay. on Azure. Yeah. Okay. So that seems to, Beg the question, why not dynamics? Because, you know, a lot of people tie their consumption to, you know, the applications and certainly there's a advantage there. But uh, was it a functionality difference in that kind of common element? So there was a couple of things. I think if I was doing doing just in one country, you know, dynamics has a very strong play. Um, the fact this is a global program around 10 countries, I needed to have a footprint that represented that complexity. So global complexity. The second thing is around the complexity of a CPG template. So again, if we go back to the point of view around, I want to keep to standard. One of the key decision points around which of the SIs had a template that was close enough to my business that I could literally roll out. So when we looked at, and that's why it was quite interesting that the selection of the software was actually related more to the selection of who the SI could be, because it is the system integrators uh, capabilities, both geographic capability, but also functional capabilities that made the decision on going with my SAP easier. And the third thing that was a challenge for us around the Microsoft was that as we wanted to have things like Concur, we wanted to have things like IBP and so forth. Those were additional kind of capabilities that we would get from, from vendors that are within the Microsoft suite of products. And it just complicated my landscape because I would then have to speak to 10 different vendors because I've got 10 different applications that are making up my, my portfolio and, and a program of the size, this complexity across multiple geographies 
just didn't want to kind of deal with that. Can you double click in on how you thought about risk and how that influenced the choices? You just touched on it a bit with the having to assemble a set of partners in the Microsoft ecosystem, but any any other commentary that might be of value to our audience about how you thought about risk in the selection? So we spent some time understanding again, you know, why ERP projects fail. You know, so a couple of reasons. Again, data. You know, so everybody says data, data, data. So one of the things we did early, very early in the program when we kicked off the thing is we actually did, started building our data extracts and building our data transformations up front. And so when that would probably would happen six months into the program, we did that in, in week two of the, of the program. Um, the next thing around reporting. So if you think about most projects, when you go live, we don't have a view around how do you report and you want to get to data that doesn't exist. So we said we're kicking off the KPI and a reporting stream early so that if we understand what we want to measure, we then understand what reports need to give us that. And then more importantly, understand what configurations need to put in place to give you that. Because the last thing you want to do is to go live and realize I want to measure something, but I don't know how to measure because I haven't done the configuration. So that was the other thing we said, how do you do risk that? The third thing is that to me, being able to go live on time and budget, which is absolutely critical, is diluted by the fact that I can go live and not use the system. And that's not a measure of success. So adoption was the next thing that we wanted to focus on saying, well, how do I ensure that adoption is front of mind? So what we've done differently is that we've also looking at adoption tools that will overlay that uh, risk of adoption or the lack thereof in our program. And then from a, from a governance perspective, we managed to get, you know, our senior leadership involved. So our CEO or CFO are part of our Stacom and they passionately involved in this. So it's not just a, a cursory visit to the Stacom once a month. They're actually a part of the decision making process. So again, that was the other risk that people would talk about, you know, senior leadership buy in. So we tried wherever possible to at least mitigate as much of the risk as we can. But we all know in these sort of programs, every day is a new risk and you've got to figure out how to how to maneuver these landmines on a regular basis. On the adoption front, are are you able to take advantage of some of the SAP services there, like the customer success support? Are they and they are they helping you drive adoption, I guess is the question. Um at this early stage, the answer is yes. You know, as we get closer into into go live and 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 hypercare and so forth, I think that that will change. But in my needs at the moment, they are, they are fulfilling that. Oh, excellent. And so where would you say you are on the journey? Where, where do you feel like, like you're at? And what are the priorities maybe for the next 12 months? I, I think where we are at the moment is we're still kind of focusing on trying to get our first implementation um, off the ground. We, we're probably about six months away from our, our first go live. So we've kind of finished our global template definition now, and like I said, we in, in build phase. I think what's going to make this program more and more challenging is that as we parallelize things. So my my biggest worry that I have right now is to say, well, how do I industrialize our approach so that I can roll this out at pace? And and the risk that I'm managing at the same time is that if this was just a pure SAP or, or, an, or a software implementation, then the change conversation, the conversation around KPIs and so forth become secondary because it's a question around how do I get this technology embedded as quickly as possible? But this is a transformation. As because it's a transformation, 
We've got to get people to start thinking about the solution differently, thinking about ways of working differently, think about how to get the best out of the tool differently. And that's a slower journey. Now to industrialize that, that's my challenge. So it's, a, it's not all training though, right? I mean, it's training for the individuals, but then you've got skill sets and things to relook at. So how are you going about all that? To make if you speak to my team, the, there, there's a couple of words I've banned on the program. The one of the word is training. And the reason why I, I banned the word training is that if you think about the world that we all live in today, it's all smart devices. It's all non-training led. So my challenge to my team was, well, if we're experiencing that as consumers, why would we expect our users to be any different? So why would you think that in a traditional way of looking at spending weeks in a training class that you've achieved an outcome? Because all you've done is ticked a box to say, I've trained 10 people. I haven't measured adoption. I haven't measured adherence to process. I've done none of those things, but I ticked a box. So I have banned the word because I want people to think about this differently. I'm saying, well, if you're designing a process or you're designing a screen, and if you design it with intuition as front of mind, then my ability to, or my need for training reduces. And I keep coming back to all the smart devices that we're all exposed to and saying, well, if that's a principle that I want to be able to simplify my transaction, I want to simplify my ways of working, and I want to be able to let the system get people to navigate to the end result, then training is non-existent, or at least it's limited. So, you know, I'm not naive that we won't have any training at all, but it should be the exception than the rule. I love it. It's it's all about the employee experience and matching it to a customer experience. Fantastic. I love it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Mickey, I know your team is doing a lot of work with CFOs these days um, who are getting much more involved in technology, no longer Luddites in the CFO's office. <laughs> um, I don't know. Did you want to uh, ask Sandeep a little bit about the CFO function? And Yeah, maybe you can help me understand. I think data was a great place to start uh, and you really hit some points there. But when you step back and you look at the office of the CFO and the CFO in general, what are they getting out of all these changes? How is this really enabling the new business? So I have to admit, my, my CFO, Peter Taylor, and I have worked very closely together on this journey. So it wasn't, a, again, the conversations that we had were not about, is this a cloud solution? Should it be on-prem? Uh, what's the solution look like? We probably spent less time about the technology and more around, how do we run this business going forward? So if I want to get to a shared service center, Sunday, how, how do I get to a shared service center? What's What needs to be true f- for that to happen? If I want my my FDs to be able to look at their planning more efficiently. You know, what's the tools that allow me to get more efficient planning given I've got such a disparate set of businesses across the globe? How do I get to a point where the data that gets generated, I have confidence in it and that I don't have to pick up the phone and call 10 different people to get a view of my sales numbers? And and the story went on like that. And it was a case of, it was business conversations and business problems that we were trying to solve and when you overlay that with the technology landscape that we created, we then asked the test around, does it give you that or does it not give you that? And where it doesn't is it does not give it to us because we've just designed something that is complex or we don't understand the solution, our ask. And I think that was more important around, do we really know what the question is before we try to find a solution to it? So, so he's been very supportive in terms of walking the business problem through and then providing the funding to make sure that we address it for the right reason. So you're changing up some business processes to help you get to better outcomes is, is a result Definitely. of how the CFO is going to look at that. Okay. Correct. So so we're not trying to force fit our processes into SAP. We're saying that 
again, we, the reason we're buying SAP is that it has best practices built into it. So why, why not stick to it? So does that in your, in your mindset, in the conversations you've had with the CFO, does that make it easier for the CFO to coach the business versus just report on what's going on? I mean, how do you see this as a differentiator for the CFO? Well, if I th- think about my CFO, he's, he's more of a business development leader than a traditional CFO. So if the, if the conversations are on how do you grow the business, what, for you to grow the business, you need to understand what's the drivers that are preventing you to grow the business. And I think what ERPs or what SAP will provide us to provide that consistent view around, do we have issues in terms of our stock? Do we have issues around manufacturing? Do we have issues around our delivery? Are those things that are preventing us from getting stock onto a customer shop? And when you talk about pricing, you know, if we look at how you optimize pricing, we've got different models across, across the globe. Suddenly we have an opportunity to use consistent tools and use a consistent methodology to drive those things. So that's what it, that's what it gives him. It gives him different sets of, of tools in his, in his toolbox to have business development conversations as opposed to pure financial numbers. Makes a lot of sense. And that's one of the things that we're seeing is that the, I, I think you called it the traditional CFO is moving more to a coaching role to help the organization meet the performance need, navigate where they need to go and, and get to that next step. So, you know, to your point, building a system and putting it together the way you need it to help you get there is, is the right way, right? And I think the, the other things we think about the amount of effort most organizations spend on getting a custom pack together to have a financial review. In a world where we want to create is that we want to be able to go to SAC, for example, and run our financial numbers straight from the system. You know, we shouldn't have to go and create Excel spreadsheets that give you different dimensions. You should be able to do that in scenario planning capability. So I think as the business becomes more comfortable in utilizing the tools to drive business outcomes and not creating an industry on the side to support <laughs> those business outcomes, I think we'll, we'll move forward. Yep. So you're still using Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're but reducing think, the amount in the spreadsheets, right? I've, I've always said that I think Microsoft made a made a terrible mistake in marketing because they should have taken Excel and put it as a planning tool. They should have used Excel as being a, the most advanced manufacturing tool. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and joining us on the podcast. I look forward to maybe we can do this again in a year and you can tell me about all the huge market share gains Twinings Ovaltine has received from having this great strategy in place. Would love to do that, Bob. And thank you for the time. Really do appreciate it. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you. Well, Mickey, what a kickoff to the first episode of our first season. What are you hearing? Knowing yourself as a company is incredibly important. You can't just buy or build your way out of a problem if you don't know what your strengths and weaknesses are. For Sandeep, what he called their magic sauce was the idea of local, and local knows best. No matter how flexible a platform is, you can't effectively absorb an existing culture into a new tech stack if you're unfamiliar or dishonest about the characteristics of that culture. Agreed. So much good stuff here and so much more to come. Our next episode is Move to the Cloud ERP with Confidence, and we'll be chatting with Yanis Levantis, Group CIO for Unipart Group. Thanks for listening to the Cloud ERP Playbook. I'm Bob Parker. And I'm Mickey North Rizza. Talk to you soon. <laughs>